Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining wherever you are uh, in the world. Uh, this is Jordan here from the Jira podcast, and I'm sat here with a, I'd probably say an old friend of ours, uh, Jimmy Ashby, all the way over in, uh, in Australia. How you doing, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm good. Definitely old friend, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, so obviously, we are very much here in the UK on lockdown. So I'm currently sat here at home. Are you, uh, are you on lockdown over there? Yeah, we're definitely in isolation, I guess. Yeah, sure. I don't think we're as locked down as you are no. um, over there. But yeah, we're restricted. Like I'm just hanging out at home, yeah. drinking too much coffee, going yeah. for the odd bike ride or walk, I guess. We're pretty lucky where I live. We're right near a big forest, so oh, nice. we just escape and yeah, go through pine trees for hours. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we are. We're we're pretty much on lockdown, um, but we, you know, we can go out to ride our bike. But it's just really important that we do it on our own, and not with groups. It's all about kind of social distancing. That's the kind of key word at the minute. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're still here. Um, yeah. So hey, Jimmy, cool. look, thanks so much for for coming on this. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while with with you. Um, obviously, our paths have intertwined a couple of times over the last well year, year and a half, and. Um, you know, I wanted to give our kind of listener base and our audience the opportunity just to kind of hear more of your story. Um, you know, we've, I've, I know I've certainly referenced you in a couple of our podcasts that we've done here. Um, but you, you uh, are, how long have you been home now? Nine months, six months? It's, yeah, it's coming up a year, actually. Whoa. It'll be a year in May. Jeez, um, so yeah, crazy. what's that? 10, 11 months, which is terrifying. So, so, and even longer since I was in England with you. That's great. Well, yeah, that was it was Christmas time, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So, so May 2019 saw you finish a round the world voyage on your bike. You on your bike alone, <laughs> which is pretty yeah. crazy. And, and just to give our listeners a, a bit of a reference, um, how old are you now? I'm 20 at the moment. You're 20 at the moment. So when yeah. you set off, you were what 18? Yeah, I was 18. Great. And then I returned home just after my 20th birthday. So I had two birthdays on the road, which yeah. is pretty cool. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I was 19 most of the way. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously yeah. you and I have spoken at length in the past, but I just wanted to give our customer base the opportunity just to kind of hear a little bit more about this. You know, you are incredibly humble the way you speak about it. But, you know, an 18-year-old going to cycle around the world on your own is for many people just so distant so just sort of talk me through first of all what got you to the point of wanting to do it and then we'll kind of just go on that journey a bit and then later we'll kind of catch up more about what you're doing now and what you've been doing since you since you've come back yeah without a doubt so I guess I, I'm a big believer in you're a product of the environment you're in yeah and you kind of look at my environment and the way I've grown up and people say oh you were just born to do this, Jimmy. Yeah. So I've grown up, like my mum and dad, they met, they were both cycling around Tasmania. My dad's actually English and they basically ran into each other on their bikes oh, and really? fell in love. Oh, that's so, nice. <laughs> which is incredible. And I've just grown up with heaps of bikes in the shed, stories from their travels, like yeah. they've done all of Northern Europe, yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. And it's basically in my blood. And then when I was 14, like dad and I went on our first trip together. Yeah. And from there, I was just hooked. Like yeah. this life of being able to not shower, eat <laughs> simple food and just live on a bike as a dirt bag yeah, just drew all my attention and I almost became obsessed. Yeah. 
and it was an escape for me too. So just before year 12 started, which is our final year at school in Australia, I went off for two weeks on my own and cycled Tasmania. And then straight after school finished, I was off cycling around New Zealand on my own for nearly a month. And from there, you know, I just wanted to ride my bike. So I grew up in this environment and you break it down to the core. And if you say to anyone that loves to ride their bike, hey, do you want to do what you love, ride your bike for 13 months across new roads, get to meet new people every day? And that's all you have to do. Yeah. You know, anyone would jump at it. Yeah. But then, yeah, if you mention all the low times and days where it was raining, I think a lot of people would go home. I mean, that's, it's really interesting you say that because, you know, when you put it in the context, I suppose it's all about perspective, right? Because when you put it in the context of, you know, hey, if you, if you love something and you're doing what you love, then why wouldn't you want to do that every day? I suppose where certainly, you know, from my standpoint, when I think about cycling around the world, this, it's all the, the questions of what if, what about the people that you've never met before? Are you going to be able to find this? Are you going to be able to find that? And that's for a lot of people is pretty daunting. Um, so before you left, were you faced with those fears or was that being outweighed very much by the opportunity at hand as opposed to the, the, uh, the, the, the possibilities of what bad might happen? I think I was definitely met with those fears. Yeah. I think the big fear is the unknown, like you were saying. You just don't know what's going to happen. And I think for me, the first three weeks going across Australia is when I really had those battles of, like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, imagine being a thousand kilometers into a yeah, yeah. 30, 40,000 kilometer bike ride. Yeah. And in those first three weeks, I was having panic attacks, I was oh, freaking really? out. When it was getting dark, well, I didn't know so, where I was so camping. That, or so, I mean, gosh, that's so that's so real. Um, so, okay, so let's take it a, <laughs> let's take it a step back a bit then. So you yeah. you say to your friends, your family, "Hey guys, I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna cycle around the world." Um, and so I'm sure they probably had a lot of questions, and most of the time they're very supportive. But let's talk it through that moment when you said, right, I'm going. And the steps that you took to actually leaving that start line, you know, and those first few moments, hours, days. Yeah. Talk me through that. I mean, that's just, I find that fascinating because that's when, that's when it becomes real. Oh, without a doubt. You know, a lot of people I would, I'd say, Hey, I'm going to cycle around the world. And I was just this 18 year old kid, essentially, who didn't really have a name for himself. And a lot of people hit me with those, well, what ifs? Yeah. What, what if this happens? Is yeah. it safe? Why are you doing this? Yeah. But then what I found is when I returned home, a lot of those same people were starting to say, wow, how'd you do that? I want to do that. Wow, that's interesting. So there was that huh. big switch. Yeah, and that, yeah, very similar people. That's very profound. But I'm, yeah, but I'm a big believer in something called the front door mile. So I don't know if you've heard of that before, I haven't. but to me, it's essentially that first mile from your doorstep. And that is the hardest bit of any journey that I've done or any journey I'll ever do, because it's like you were saying, building up that courage, the funds, the drive yeah. to take on a world cycle. Yeah. That's the hardest bit. Yeah, of course. And once you leave that front door, you've yeah. done the first mile, yeah, well. suddenly all those fears, those what ifs, 
mm. those worries, mm. they're gone. And like you were saying, you're just riding your bike. You're doing what you love. So and is, is that something that you've come up with, this front door mile? Because that's deep, man. There's a book in that. No, I'd love to take it to myself. I've heard it, yeah, several times. Other cyclists read it in books. Wow. Even like distance runners. Like when I used to run, a lot of people would speak about, you know, you're building up to this national championships and you just take that first step, take on that first mile Mm. and then everything starts to go from there. Wow. That's that's, uh, that's beautiful, man. (laughs) So so, um, that... So the front door mile then. So what were the steps you had to take before you, before you left? Well, I needed a lot of money, yeah, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess basically it would have been nine months before I left. Mm. I decided I wanted to cycle around the world. Mm. And before that, I kind of had this plan of going from the bottom of Greece to the top of Norway, just in Europe. And I was out climbing with one of my mates and he jokingly said, why don't you just cycle around the world? <laughs> and little did he know a seed was planted yeah, and it wow. snowballed into something very scary very quickly. Yeah. And in those nine months, you know, I was reading lots of blogs, looking at visas, working, earning money, trying to chat to as many people as I could. And that had, you know, been to the places like Central Asia, Southeast Asia, working out the best way across the countries and around the world essentially and then you know april of 2018 came and i yeah said goodbye (laughs) how about it so april 2018 so you were on the road for about a year yeah it was 13 months 13 months 393 days so talk me through that first uh, we'll get into the route and stuff in in a sec but just uh, getting back to just talk me through those first few days I mean, yeah. how are you feeling physically? How are you feeling emotionally? You know, did the enormity sort of catch up with you? Like what, and, and when did that start to subside? Absolutely. So I kind of, now I'm home, I look back and say, well, that first 3000 kilometers across Australia was my front door mile. Yeah. I kind of looked at it, or I now look at it and say, well, once I got through that, then the ball starts to roll. Um, now overseas in New Zealand, the United States, I just had to get through that first three weeks. Yeah. And I was fighting demons daily. Yeah, like, sure. what am I doing? I'm this 18 yeah. year old guy I can barely buy a beer, yet alone <laughs> cycle around the world. And that first day I was, I'll never forget how just washed out I was. Yeah, I can imagine. I only rode about 80 kilometers, yeah. but the amount of emotion yeah. that it took to leave of home. Course. Like I had about 50 or 60 people there. There were three <laughs> or four news crews. Really? And yeah, to say goodbye to my mum, my dad, not knowing it wouldn't be until 13 months later wow. that I'd see them again. Wow. Every bit of safety and comfort yeah. to leave this life of unknown and not showering. Um, <laughs> it was very exciting in a way, but also just terrifying. Yeah. It was a sickening feeling. And yeah, I really. dread to think what my mum was thinking that day. Did... um. I suppose I have to ask a question. Did you did you want to stop? Not on that first day. No. Um, I a lot of people ask that, yeah. and there was never a point that I wanted to stop. Yeah. But there was definitely points where it was hard to keep going. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So those. Yeah. So that first three thousand uh, kilometers that took you from Adelaide to where? So I went Adelaide to Melbourne, okay. and then Sydney up 
to the Gold Coast. So okay. basically on the coast of Australia. Okay. And I was on a lot of roads that cycled before. Yeah. And just kind of working into it really. Okay. And then, so from Australia, where did you, uh, where did you go after? So from the Gold Coast, yeah. I flew to New Zealand and went south to north up to Auckland on the North Island. Yeah. And then I flew to San Francisco, like okay. the west coast of the United States. Yep. Went up the west coast until I got to Oregon and joined the Trans America bike route. So oh, okay, fine. Where the Trans Am bike race is. So you did and that re- all the all the way across. Yeah, essentially, oh, wow. I followed that all the way to Yorktown. And yeah. what was really cool was I hopped onto that route about a month after the actual race had started. Okay. So I watched. It was the same year Ryan was doing it. So I watched Ryan go through. How about And it? then actually in the final, yeah, 1,000 kilometers, I caught the tail end of the race. Yeah, really? And I got to ride with a couple of the people, uh, which is cool. awesome. That's fun. But that, yeah. And that took me all the way to the East Coast in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And then I flew to England for the first time. Yeah. And that's when I met Jiro. I don't that's think I met you that time. No, I think I was away. Um, you didn't meet me that time, no. I, I, I'm, I think I was probably maybe on a holiday or something. I don't know. But I know you spent some time with Russell. And then, yeah. Um, so you're in Europe. Obviously, get, what were you getting? Getting supplies, sorting out some stuff with a bike. Yeah. So I've got a lot of family in England, yeah. being my dad's English. Yeah. And what my dad actually did is a couple months before I got to England, he flew to Eastern Europe, somewhere in Bulgaria. Okay. And he cycled to England as I was cycling across America. Really? And we both got to England at the same time. Mm. So, which was unreal. I didn't know And it was that. just That's a cool. chance. Yeah. And it was just a chance to... I guess I had about a week, week and a half off the bike, yeah. sorting out a lot of visas and logistical plans because kind of in that week, my whole original plan flipped and went out the window. Do you want me to go into that? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my original plan was to always go west to east. So from England, I was going to go across Europe to Asia. Yeah. But when I got to England at that point, I guess with the weather and the seasons, if I kept going my original plan, when I was going to get to Central Asia, it would mean it would be the middle of winter and the northern Himalayas, you're just on roads that are impassable. Yeah. So I was kind of faced with a question of, well, if I want to go to Central Asia, yeah. I'm going to have to be there soon. Yeah. So what I did is I hopped on a plane and flew all the way to Bishkek, yeah. which was on the Chinese border in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. And from Kyrgyzstan, I cycled westward yeah. all the way through Central Asia, Turkey, into Europe before getting to Lisbon and Portugal. Gosh, mate. I mean, it's, <laughs> I suppose like the, what's just sort of striking me is, you know, I mean, obviously you've been back for nearly a year and this, this you know, this project, or if you want to call it that, this ride took you 13 months. And we're just quite casually talking about the fact that you rode <laughs> across America or the fact that you rode. I mean, we saw you after Lisbon. So you, yeah, you, you did from, at Christmas you, time. You flew in from Lisbon, yeah. Um, and we picked you up in what, doesn't, I think it was like Christmas Eve, actually. It was like the 23rd or something. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I mean, this, I mean, we are talking about vast, vast distances. And 
but it's not just so much the distance it's everything that goes with it it's the the solitude the miles you're having to kind of cover the food you're having to eat i mean i really like that front door mile notion where it's where it's easy the hardest bit is that first bit but once you get going you get going but it's still a huge amount of <laughs> it's not so much i suppose that the bit that i'm trying to get at is it's not so much the 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 physical space you have to cover but it's that emotional and almost spiritual journey of it that, that accompanies that um oh it really is yeah yeah and a spiritual journey is a great way to put it like i look at the person i was when i left adelaide yeah. i'm completely different yeah returning back home yeah and so many people looked at my ride and they looked at the kilometers I was doing each day and they'd comment and they'd say, oh, didn't ride too far today, Jimmy, <laughs> things like that. But like you were saying, <laughs> yeah. there's so much to it. It's not just about riding a bike. The, riding the bike's the easy bit. Yeah. But then the cultures, the yeah. languages, the yeah. religion, yeah. finding a place to camp every yeah. night, dealing with that solitude. You know, I yeah. kind of look at where we are now yeah. in this isolation yeah. as yeah. I've been training for this my whole life. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm stoked being on my own. But there's just so much to it, you know, cooking your food, own food every night, particularly through, you know, I was in a non-English speaking country for about nine months. And every week it's a new language, new SIM card, new supermarket. And it's just this crazy journey of travel, but on a bike. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, that you're a different person to the person that left we've got a, a, a good friend who's been sort of spending a lot of time traveling across the world on his bike and he's referenced this as well as in you know there's a a shift a change kind of internally that happens um you know can you can you try to kind of put your finger on what it is and why that shifted if that makes sense yeah that's a big question it is a big question i, think, I appreciate that no i think like you can't spend that much time on your own that much time in different countries around the world and not have a change of some sort. And I think for me in Tajikistan, which is right on the Afghan border, I had some incredible encounters with families and yurts, people on the border of Afghanistan that were so happy, that was so grateful. And then also came across a memorial where four cycle tourists had been killed oh, right gosh. where I was cycling. Gosh. And seeing that just has a profound impact on you. And I guess from that time meeting these people that had such little, but were willing to give me so much, people that didn't care what I looked like, what I smelt, where I was from, or what religion, I was simply loved and accepted. And then I came across that memorial and I realized, wow, how incredible is this? Because these people didn't get to be here, yeah. but I do. Yeah, wow. See, I get to travel these roads that I bet all these people wanted to do mm. was now do what I was doing. Yeah. And I realized that every opportunity or everything on the road, no matter how high or low it was, mm. it was an opportunity. Mm. I never had to do mm. anything. I never had to go anywhere. Yeah. I got to. And yeah. from that, there was such power. I didn't have to do anything. But I got to do everything. That's um, yeah. That's a uh, 
a really lovely way of looking at it. I mean, you know, we became intertwined because of our relationship with Curve. Um, yeah. You know, you've been riding, you were riding a Curve bike during this during this time, and you know, because of that, or because of our relationship with Curve, you know, we've been exposed to this kind of world of ultra endurance racing, you know, where people are, you referenced the Trans Am, the same year that Rhino did it, where there's a route from west to east, and the goal is to cross it as fast as you can. Yeah. But what you're talking about is very different. And that reference of you get the opportunity to, as opposed to you have to, that's very freeing and that's very liberating. And you're just doing it because you can, uh, which is really beautiful. And I, there's, I think there's a freedom there that not many people get to experience. Um, you know, of course you can choose to do a race and, and that is your choice, but you have a start you, and you have a finish. Whereas you were just sort of going with it. And I suppose that breaks down every aspect of our kind of civilized life that we're used to where you know we're used to waking up and, and school starts at a certain time and you finish school and then you go to work at a certain time and you finish work whereas you have the opportunity to kind of live through that and live in and amongst that but not being a part of that i think that's quite powerful oh it really is it's that that simple life you know how often do you wake up watch the sunrise, and then spend every minute of that day underneath the sun to yeah. then watch it set yeah, beautiful. and then watch the sunrise the next day. See, for nearly 13 months, I spent every day watching the sunrise, watching it set and being amongst it underneath the sky, whether it was raining, whether it was sunny. And every day the sky was different. Every day the sun would rise differently as it would set and things like that that are so simple really brought on that change in who I am, I guess. It's been, um, it's been really interesting. I don't know if it's been the same out there, but this, you know, the, our kind of public's reaction to this COVID-19 sort of, you know, sort of crisis that we're going through. Um, you know, people have been forced to stay home and not go to work unless it's essential and all these things. But yet outdoor activity is more popular than ever before. And, you know, normally when families, I'm generalizing a bit here, but, you know, kind of go with me. Like normally when, you know, some families have the opportunity to do nothing, they may stay at home and watch TV or, you know, they may play games or whatever it is. But suddenly people wanted to go outside. People wanted to kind of go and experience the simplicity of just being out, going for a walk or whatever. And it's really interesting that this has arisen because you can't do it. As in, well, you, you're not you're not allowed to, so let's do it. Or you know, this this might be taken away, so let's gonna sort of make the most of it. And I suppose it's, yeah. I mean, obviously it's a good thing that people are doing it, but it is quite shocking that it comes to a point when it might be taken away from you, um, or other parts of your life are taken away from you that you actually realise actually what's important. Um, I mean, it, I don't. It's crazy around here. Like, there's so many people out running, like. <laughs> It's like, what is going on? People haven't been running for ages, but there's people running. There's people outside walking in the parks and, you know, of course, adhering to social distancing rules, but there's people outside. It's like, it's just crazy. The, uh, the yeah. impact that not being, yeah. not being part of just the normal routine is having on people. And people are starting to appreciate, as you say, that simplicity of just being under the sun. And what that, yeah. what what that do does you think it's spirit. even... Like normally in their day-to-day -day life, they think, oh, I have to go out for a run now because yeah. that's my exercise for yeah. the day. But now they're looking at it and saying, 
well, I get to go outside I get for a to run. Go outside. That's yeah, my yeah. little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Is there yeah, that yeah. shift in mentality? Yeah, I hope but, so. You know, mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, not to get too deep into it, but I find it fascinating that we are living in this time when the entire planet has actually just been stopped to say, you yeah. guys, you cannot continue any further. You need to stop here, take a moment and appreciate and forced to appreciate what's important. And it's amazing to see different people's reactions to it from our community here and kind of, you know, the kind of the circles that I'm in. It's been, for the most part, hugely positive and what people are missing and people are missing interacting with each other. But as far as the appreciation for time, the appreciation for being outside, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty profound. Um, yeah. How's it been out there? Yeah. Yeah, it's been, yeah, very similar. There's been a lot of people coming together that there wouldn't normally be. And I guess in a personal sense for me, I'm well aware of how my mind works and where I'm going to thrive and where I'm also going to struggle. So in terms of kind of what I've done is I know that nature for me really brings me up. It gives me that positive feeling. So this is kind of funny in a way, but where we live on our property, we've got about 20 acres and down the bottom, we've got a little forest with some shrub and I've basically said living at home in my room is too complicated. It's <laughs> not helping my mind. So what I've done is I've moved down to the bush. Really? I've got a tent and oh. a bunch of tarps. Oh, that's cool. And like a table and a stove. Yeah, nice. And I've just gone and lived and I'm having a little fire every night. Mm. And for me, that's like brought this opportunity of, mm. okay, well, I can't go out and cycle mm. across countries at the moment but I'm going to start this new challenge and go live that basic, simple life just yeah. down in the shrub. <laughs> I've, got a, um, I've got a very good friend. In fact, um, I've, I've done a podcast with him um, on, on this and um, a guy called Dave Erasmus. And he spent, oh, let's see, what year was it? 2018, I think, something like that. 2018 and, 20, and part of 2019. Or, uh, I forget, maybe it started 2017. But he essentially inherited... Um, we got given a woodland, 25 acres of woodland. And so oh. he wanted to start a, like a project where he was basically going to live in it for a year just to see what happened. And not for a, you know, kind of like a social media exercise or anything publicity, but rather to one, see if he could, but just to, to break him out of his norm. And he lived pretty much like, say, five days off grid, um, two days on grid, you know, and he'd spend most of his time awesome. down there. But he invited a lot of people down and I was fortunate to go down and spend some time with him. And it's amazing the impact that that year had on him. It kind of certainly reset a lot of things and, and set in motion some other bits in his life. Um, but now the amount of people that are talking with him, you know, they, they don't think he's so crazy anymore. <laughs> because it's like, yeah. well, he's like, well, I've kind of been doing, I was doing this for a year, so it's fine. Um, and but people because so many things have been taken away from them they start to see oh actually you know this this isn't so crazy and we can do that we can live at nature or you know just live without all the normal things that we're used to um yeah it's pretty cool yeah without a doubt so simple life yeah absolutely so getting back to the ride so you went east to west and ended up in lisbon um you know across this whole journey you would have met so many different people and cultures and i'm sure the well i'm sure you had good interactions and negative interactions but maybe sort of you know if you can share a little bit about some of those interactions with 
humanity. There's interactions with people, you know, from different walks of life over this 13 months. Yeah, you know, I look back at the 13 months and it's often the people that stand out to me. Yeah, lovely. It's not yeah. the landscapes, it's not the cities, it's mm. the people yeah. that live there. Yeah. And the people that really stood out to me were the ones in Kyrgyzstan, the mm. ones in Tajikistan, the people that had the least mm. but were willing to give me the yeah, most. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Have you had time, yeah, to, re- so have be- you had time to reflect on that? Yeah, I think I have. You know, being on the bike for another six, seven months was time to reflect. And even now, every day, I have moments where I just have a memory of something of somewhere and I smile or I laugh. And I'm always reflecting. Like a family in Kyrgyzstan had such an impact on me. And now I'm in Australia doing what I do. And what I find fascinating, Jordan is everywhere I went over the 13 months, every person I met from New Zealand to yourself at Jiro to the families in Kyrgyzstan, I passed through for maybe 10 minutes, an hour or a day, and then I went on to somewhere else. But where I passed through and those people I met, they kept doing the things they were doing. They kept living their life. And 13, 12 months later, now I'm home, those same people are still doing the same things. You're still at that cafe making coffee. That family in Kyrgyzstan is still on the same farm. Their lives, I was blessed to go through and just capture a moment of it and be a part of their life, mm. and they were a part of mine. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Um, I mean, you've referenced Kyrgyzstan a couple of times. Did that sort of place in particular have a, more of an impact on you than, than other places? Yeah, it did. It was my first time in Asia okay. ever. So yeah. first time experiencing the culture, the northern Himalayas as well. Yeah, I was beautiful. in the Pamir mountain range mm. and it was just breathtaking, the yeah. beauty. And the altitude was as well breathtaking. <laughs> but I had some yeah low moments with dealing with that altitude, dealing with the struggles of language, of food, And every struggle I had, I guess I grew from, and I look at that kind of few months in Central Asia as that stepping stone or leap pad to that change and I guess growing and becoming who I want to be and who I am. Yeah, very cool. Um, And so what were some of the other encounters that you had with with people? Good, bad, you know, whatever. What is is kind (laughs) of, what, what is stuck with you? Yeah, I guess some bad ones were not so much people, but wildlife. Oh, really? I had some terrifying encounters with oh, wildlife. Mate, yeah, stop and it. I look at um, dogs my, very my differently. My hands are already sweating, bro. Oh, uh, yeah, I struggle to look at dogs the same. Really? I guess through Central Asia, particularly Turkey, I was getting chased by a lot of wild oh, dogs. Oh, God. And even waking that. up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in my tent surrounded by packs of dogs just barking just growling and terrifying you're waking up to this pack of dogs around you and i felt like a burrito in my sleeping bag oh my gosh just ready to get eaten so scary yeah and you see dogs with rabies so you're throwing rocks at them like these are dogs that will sink teeth into your calves if they get the chance goodness uh they're not ones that want to be padded so they were some very scary moments and then there were nights that I'd wake up 
and hear like howling wolves in the distance, particularly across Kazakhstan, where it's just this vast desert. And in the morning, I'd sometimes find like my straps of bags chewed in half by dogs, by something. I'm not really sure what. There were times my tent got peed on by something. I reckon it was a wild dog or a wild pig even. And I was just lying in my tent getting peed on (laughs) in sheer fear. (laughs) I mean, that is, that's enough for most people to to call it quits well i suppose you're in the middle of nowhere maybe you couldn't call it quits you just got to carry on um but that's remarkable yeah yeah it's character building hey yeah for sure (laughs) were there any ever moments where you felt in real danger that you felt you know like out of your depth um i don't think so Mm. there was one moment in the mountains of kyrgyzstan where i guess i was very alone Mm. very broken yeah. the altitude had really gotten to me the weather i was running out of food like i'm talking stretches of four five hundred kilometers between yeah, resupply sure. points and you're yeah. at four and a half thousand meters mm. Gosh. and there was one night where i could hardly stand i could hardly mm. drink and eat mm. and i basically curled up in a ball with these thumping headaches which i now look back as attitude, attitude sickness, sickness and yeah. i wrote in my journal that night I don't know if I'm going to wake up in the morning. And I was in the middle of Kyrgyzstan. I hadn't spoken to my mum or dad for over a week. Like They didn't know where I was. Mm. They didn't know if I was alive. Mm. No one was going to find me that quick. Mm. I'd hardly spoken English to anyone for weeks, for months. Mm. That was probably one moment where I just felt alone mm. and scared. I mean, th- that is... I mean, that is incredibly profound. I mean, that is something that absolutely will be, will have a lasting impact on anybody. Um, and not only for you, but for your family. I mean, we can talk about your family in a sec, but, you know, Jimmy, like there's, you know, you, you, you reflect on it um, in a very, you know, kind of matter of fact way as in, you know, well, I've got the opportunity to ride on a bike, but you know, that's, that's bigger than that, you know, writing in your journal, you know, I don't know if I'm going to wake up in the morning. Can, can you point a, a, a finger as to kind of what what allows you to continue going after doing something like that? Because for most people, 99.9% of people, that would be enough for them to call it a day and go be with their loved ones. But you carried on and that speaks to your character. But I think it speaks to something bigger than that too. Can you discuss that? Can you talk about that or do you not know? Uh, I'll try and discuss it, yeah. I guess. I look at and what I learned throughout my time on the bike is no matter how deep the lower struggle was, at a point you always come out of it and mm. you start to go on the rise and you get an equal high. Yeah. You know, you look at mm, anybody wow. in their life, they've had a moment where they've thought, I'm not going to get through this. This is it. Mm. But then now you're here, you have gotten through that. Yeah. And I look at that moment in the mountains and say, well, if I didn't put myself there, if I didn't have that struggle, then I wouldn't have got to meet the families in the yurts. I wouldn't have gotten to see the border of Afghanistan. I wouldn't have gotten to have that moment of that memorial. I wouldn't have had these experiences that I did, which then wouldn't have allowed me to grow to who I am now. And I often look at it and just think, well, sometimes you've got to show a bit of grit. You've got mm. to go through those lows and have faith, mm. trust mm. that there's going to be a high come out of it. Mm. 
Yeah, wow. That's, uh, that, that's, I mean, it's remarkable. And, you know, re in referencing your family, of course, they are no doubt incredibly proud of, of, of what you've done. And, but, you know, I'm sure they're incredibly proud of the, the, the person that you've become because of this. Um, but gee, there must've been some tough time for them. Has your family um, discussed with you how they felt during this time, you know, good and bad? Uh, they have, mm. but I don't think particularly my mum will ever say how tough a year it was for her. Yeah, well. I just could never imagine, and I don't think I'll ever be able to know until I have, I guess, a child for myself. But the fear and the worry that both my mum and dad would have gone through, it's hard to think about. And it makes me feel very selfish. Like what mm. I was doing is mm. a very selfish thing in a way that it's just me. I'm just worrying about myself. And particularly at that point in Tajikistan when there was that memorial where cyclists have died and they died only six weeks before I was there, you know, that could so easily have been me. Almost why wasn't it? And if it was, what's the impact it would have had on my beautiful mum and my dad? And that definitely rung home to me in a way. But those guys, like particularly mum and dad, are some of the most incredible people that back me no matter what I want to do or where I'm going to go. And with that, I'm so fortunate and grateful to have two people like that in my corner pushing me along. Yeah. You say it's a selfish pursuit. And I suppose in one way you look at it, okay, yeah, in, you know, that, that can make sense. Um, because you're not having, seemingly having regard for what they're going through. Um, but, you know, there's, there's two things I want to bring up to that. One is the development that you've been through and what impact, what lasting impact that's going to have on your community and your world moving forward. But also you were doing this for a charity as well, um, <laughs> um, which we haven't referenced. So maybe, maybe let's talk about that a bit. Yeah. So I guess I looked at this whole world ride that I was about to do and I said, well, this is going to be a journey for me and be great for me. Why don't I try and do something for someone else? And I kind of thought, well, I might raise some money for a charity. And I chose motor neuron disease that was very close to my heart due to losing a grandmother and a running coach to it. And basically said, you know, the journey comes first. This adventure is for me. But on the side, I want to see if I can do something for someone else. Yeah, and right. You know, coming home back to Adelaide 13 months later, I was very proud of what I had done and, you know, the impact that it was going to have on someone else. Yeah. Like me riding my bike has now done this for someone else, which is pretty cool to think about. So what did you, uh, what, what did you raise? Was it, was, it, was it money? Was it awareness? What, what, what did it all total to? So it was both, definitely spreading awareness. Mm. And then I ended up raising mm. over $33,000 which is a lot of money for some people that really need it. That's a huge amount of money, mate. That's amazing. For an 18, 19-year-old to raise that amount of money is phenomenal, mate. And, uh, you know, I know you're a very humble man, but you should definitely, you know, have a moment and pat yourself on the back. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, thank uh, you. That, that's, uh, that's remarkable. Um, and then the, the other point that I would, you know, kind of contest to it being a selfish pursuit um, is that without this journey, you wouldn't 
I don't think have had the opportunity, well, maybe I'm wrong, but you wouldn't have the opportunity to kind of get that understanding of self and the perspective of a very big world where there's lots of different people going through all different things, good and bad, and the impact that that can have taking all those experiences back to your world. So back to Adelaide, back to your family, back to your friends, back to your community, back to the work that you're doing. In fact, that's not selfish at all, actually, and that you're being a you're bringing those experiences and you're choosing to share with them. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's selfish at all. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. And I think, I guess from my journey, I was very fortunate to have people like yourself at Giro, people at Curve to promote, I guess, my social media and my story that then I gained quite a large following and I was able to share things like that. You know, if you go through my Instagram, go deep, I share some pretty emotional stuff, some pretty deep stuff, as well as incredible moments that I had. And for that, I'm very grateful because I left home not expecting to be able to share that. But then coming home to about 60 or 70 people, 60 or 70 people I never met before, you know, people that had found my ride and it's just incredible, like the community that did grow around me just riding my bike, doing what I love. Yeah. So what, are you, um, what have you been doing since you got back? Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of riding my bike still. That's cool. So I've been home, yeah, 10, 11 months. I reckon I've done close to 25,000 kilometers again. Jeez. Um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I guess I just love to ride my bike. Yeah, yeah. And... I had the goal of racing the Indian Pacific wheel race, oh, which yeah. a huge build up. And sadly, a few weeks ago, that got cancelled only yeah. 30 hours in. Um, but then I'm also, you know, working, getting some more money, also traveling around Australia, sharing my story. Like I've developed yeah. this package, which is incredible. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to sort of like reference and, you know, yeah. that whole thing about, you know, giving back of some of these experiences that you've had for the benefit of other people. You have been doing these public speaking engagements. Plus you've also won an award, which is pretty cool. <laughs> what was the award that you yeah. won? Uh, it was Australian Geographic Young Adventure of the Year. Mate. which is beyond cool oh, it's, it's so unreal cool, man. i still get goosebumps yeah. thinking about it <laughs> just amazing so how did that come about mm. so they actually contacted me when i was in vietnam about okay. 10 or 11 months in yeah and they did this online article about me cycling around the world and then i came home and a few people nominated me for this wow. annual award and before I knew it, I had a phone call from the CEO at Ausgeo saying, do you want to come to Sydney? Yeah. And oh, it was just unreal getting to be in a room full of people that I'm inspired by. You know, it's so different to speaking at a school or a corporate place. I'm speaking to other adventurers, getting to share this moment surrounded by some truly incredible people. Mm. It was humbling, to yeah. say the least. Oh, that's so cool, man. Um, well, congratulations, mate. That's great. Oh, thank and, you. And so this this public speaking engagements, you know, summarize that a bit. What what, what does that look like? Who have you been speaking to um, and what impact is that having? So I've been speaking to schools mm -hmm. quite a lot. Mm -hmm. I guess where I'm fortunate is I work 
as an outdoor instructor on the side for a lot of schools. And that's meant I've had my foot in the door with contacts. Yeah, sure. And I basically developed a 60-minute package that goes through the journey, not of the places I cycled or the roads I got to see, Mm. but the story of who I've become Mm. and that self-growth through Mm. resilience, through passion, through the highs and the lows. And it's just this package of, I guess, belief in Mm. a way. Mm. And what's profound is you take it to grade 11, grade 12 high school groups. So what, what what age is that? So that would be 16 to 18. Okay. And I stand there and I tell my story through videos, through photos. And I'm only 18 when I left and I'm only 20 now. And I'm speaking to these young adults that are 17, 18. And I'm saying, well, hey, you know, I cycled around the world when I was 18. And I'm not saying that you need to go and buy a bike and cycle around the world like me. But in one way or another, we all have our own world to cycle. And I think for those young adults, it has a profound impact because they're looking at at it and saying, wow, if this guy can do it, maybe I could. And it's giving them that whole belief of, well, there's something else. There's something besides university. What if I found something I'm truly passionate about? Where could that go? Because that's essentially what I did. I just love to ride my bike and I embraced it fully, not really sure where it was going to go. Well, it's amazing, man. And I mean, have you in doing those, um, in doing that speaking, have you been able to kind of keep in contact with some of the people that you've been speaking to? And has there been any follow up to that? Without a doubt. I always get a few followers on Instagram the day after and some truly touching messages. Mm. And even afterwards, like, I never thought, and I still struggle to get my head around that me stood up there telling a story can bring someone to tears, can evoke that much emotion. And people saying, well, you've almost impacted my life in a way Mm. and giving them that whole belief of Mm. what could I do? If Jimmy can do this, what could I do? And that's, to me, that's more than I could ever have hoped for, ever have believed. Because as I came back into Adelaide, I guess my final few hundred kilometers, I developed this, idea of, well, if I can bring the slightest bit of love, kindness and compassion that was given to me around the world back into my life and share it with everyone else, then this 13 months has been a success. I've grown from it. And now sat here 12 months since being home. I'm very proud to be able to see, I guess, where I've taken that and who I have grown from or who I've grown into. Well, it's remarkable, man. You know, I'm I remember when you came to stay here at, 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 the, at our house for when, when yeah, you came over here at Christmas. And it was the first time you and I had spent some time together. And, I mean, you were, well, nearly a year in, I guess. Um, however, however long, maybe, no, maybe six, seven, seven months, something like that. Yeah. Um, but I was, and I've shared this with a few people, but I was just very taken with you as a person and as a character um, because I, you radiated without meaning to. You just radiated a sense of calm and a sense of contentment, and I'm sure that that's you know more than just the the ride that you've been on, and, and maybe your family as as well. But there was just a real self assurance that wasn't ego. It wasn't a uh, a, a bullish. It was just a, a sense of kind of contentment and just an understanding of your place. 
Um, and I mean, you know, I've got quite a few more years on you. <laughs> but I was just, uh, there was a part of looking at you with, a, you know, a sense of jealousy is not the right word. That, that's not the right, the, the right kind of the tone. But there was a sense of, no, there's something that, that I'm seeing in you that, that resonates with me and that I, I, I want, you know, and just that sense of it doesn't matter, like I'm okay. Um, and I, I'm so pleased to hear that you, that's an experience that you are sharing with everybody else. And I'm from what well, from me and from all of us here over this side of the world. We're just big fans of you, Jimmy. I think what you're doing is amazing. Oh, Jordan, you know, that's that's incredibly kind. Um, I guess I knew you on social media before I knew you in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through Curve, which is really exciting getting to meet. Oh, it's Jordan Addison. And I remember the day you picked me up from the airport. I reckon you waited about two, two and a half hours after my flight and because I was stuck in customs you were and stuck I got customs, through and yeah. I was so apologetic oh. and you simply said, mate, don't worry, do you yeah. want to go get a beer? Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah, the I guess the impact that yourself and Jiro had on my ride was huge. You gave me not only once but twice a base out of Australia and supporting me with bicycle bits and picking me up from airports, even just the messages and stoke through social media throughout the whole year was second to none. And because of that, I have the utmost respect for yourself and Jiro and the coffee you guys make. Still one of the best cups around the world. <laughs> oh, hey, good. that's good to know. Well, I mean, look, again, you know, probably, you know, that's very kind, uh, very kind words. But I mean, for us, it's nothing. We were just happy to, to play our part, really. I remember that when we did that ride, we did that big off-road ride around Christmas time. <laughs> oh, yes. And it was like, what, 80 Ks off-road. And there was a couple of people, and there's one guy in particular, Elon, was like, who's this guy wearing shorts? Because it was cold. <laughs> it's like, who's this guy wearing shorts? I was like, oh, it's Jimmy. He's uh, in the middle of cycling around the world. He was like, oh, really? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just over here hanging out for a few days. And suddenly, ne <laughs> next thing you know, he was up next to you, talking to you about what, you, you know, finding out more about what you're doing. Um, yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. I remember that vividly because he made fun of my shorts yeah, when we started. Like, who, and about who? halfway at the coffee shop, yeah, yeah, he came it. in. I think he apologized to yeah, me yeah, and yeah. said, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> that was you know, hilarious. Like, yeah, it was funny. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the Curve connection. So that's how we, we got, we got um, sidled together. Obviously, we, we work with Curve closely in the UK and Europe. Um, so how did, you, how did you get hooked up with them? Well, basically, I needed a bike to cycle around the world, and I'd had some bad luck with specialized bikes breaking over the last couple of years, and I simply said, oh, this is going to be a huge journey. I need something that's going to be strong, that's going to get me through, and I chose a Curve bike, and I phoned Adam, and basically from there, we've grown this incredible relationship where I've bought the bike to begin with, and now they're, they were supporting me throughout the whole 13 months, sending me bike parts, checking in with me. And do you know what's crazy, Jordan? Like I can go through my phone now and I can send Sarah Hammond a text. I can send Jesse or Ryan. It's like these people that I've always looked up to growing up and inspired by are now my mates. And I think that's been one of the most profound things that has come from Curve, yeah. the people I've met because of it yeah and yourself and i mean that's hey look that's why we we love working with them as well i mean this 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 um you know like business is business do you know what i mean but if you're in the position where you can 
partner with people that not only you respect but that you like and that you can call family um that's a beautiful thing and that's curve all through and through i mean those guys are, are are my family and uh it's nice that you know they're having that same impact in your life as well and and, and to be honest that resonated it was like as soon as you came up here it was like no this guy's this guy's family it doesn't matter like you know he's family um yeah i mean i think that's just this part of it you know if you're uh, going back to what you said earlier at the beginning like if you can do something that you're passionate about and you know and and if those passionates if those passions line up with other people then what a privilege what an absolute privilege to be able to kind of work with people that you like and that you can support and champion each other's cause and each other's passions you know that's if you can do that in your life then then you're winning oh absolutely you know and i come back to you're a product of the environment you're in and that's the product or the environment you grow up in but the environment you choose to put yourself in so by you know surrounding myself with people like yourself with curve with my friends that also do these incredible bike trips that go rock climbing. I'm surrounded by the people that bring me up, that they don't kind of bring my ideas down. They bring them up and yeah. share the stoke and they Absolutely. get behind me. Absolutely. And that's huge for every you know adventure I'm planning now and mm. adventure I'll do in the future. Perfect segue. What's next? Oh. <laughs> What what's next? What's um, I mean, obviously we've got some restrictions globally about what we can and can't do. Um, you had planned on doing the Indie Pack, which for people who for people who don't know what that is, maybe just share what that race is. Yeah, so the Indian Pacific Wheel Race is a bike race that goes across Australia, similar to the Trans America or the Transcontinental. Mm-hmm. It's unsupported. Mm-hmm five and a half thousand kilometers and a very raw form of racing mm-hmm. so you know the clock starts on in perth on the western coast and the first person to sydney on the east wins and that to me was very exciting but you know sadly with what's going on so we were what, 30 hours in and yeah so what happened yeah. because obviously the race started and obviously we've uh, a couple of our guys that we know have done that obviously rhino included mm-hmm. um you start in Perth and then, so you started and, and what, what bike were you on for, for this race? So you weren't on the same one you were doing to, to go around the world. No, I wasn't. I was very fortunate. So with Curve, they helped set me up on their Belgi Spirit. Oh, perfect. Which with their carbon wheels, oh, it felt like a Ferrari compared oh, com- to my steel compared to GXR. What you had, compared to what you had been riding. Oh, it was half the weight and it was so fast. I felt like a gazelle. Yeah. <laughs> so but basically, yeah. I know. So essentially you've, oh. you, you've been used to going long distances without not really racing. And then you decided to throw your hand at, well, can I go long distances fast? Yeah, exactly. And I guess to me, it's not about riding fast. It's just about riding longer mm. and sleeping less, yeah. stopping less. <laughs> so I didn't really pick up my pace. Yeah, I that's just interesting. stopped a lot less. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's, that's, that's pretty simple maths, actually. Mm. So you were 30 hours in and you had to stop uh, for, for what reason? Yeah, basically, I guess when we started with everything going around coronavirus, it still looked feasible. The borders still looked passable. Like we were isolated on our own. You're not really seeing many people out there. And we got 30 hours in and the government basically brought in the law of 
the state borders are shutting in 40 hours and if you cross the border you have to be in isolation for two weeks and sadly none of the riders were close enough and we all had to basically turn around and go back to Perth which was an adventure of its own. Mm. So you got back to Perth to essentially get home really? Yeah so it then turned into a race of going back to Perth to fly back to Adelaide before the borders closed. Um, So yeah it was wild definitely. I'm uh, obviously sorry to hear that. That's um, but hey, I mean, we're all passengers in this situation at the minute. Um, so looking beyond Corona, what's the? Have you got any adventures planned? Have you got any you know rides planned? What are you uh, What are you doing? Yeah, you know, I've always got rides planned. I could sit here and just go through a list of places I want to cycle. Cool. But yeah, I guess the next one I did have was June, July, August. I was going back to Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan for mm-hmm. three months. Oh, cool. Um, but that's now been cancelled due to coronavirus. Yeah, sure. Flight's not going ahead, so that's kind of another blow I'm working through. Like the indie pack ended, I lost all my work. I've now lost yeah those that three months to look forward to. So yeah, it's very much now looking at the long term picture, kind of where can I be in twelve months' time? Obviously, I now won't have the funds I would basically with all my work ending and. Yeah, you know, I'd love to get back to Central Asia soon. I'd love to think I can do the indie pack again, get myself to the fitness and commitment that I was last month. And, you know, I think it's just riding this wave of coronavirus and dealing with it the best we can in our own ways. Absolutely. It's, you know, we're, you know, there are some, you know, whilst there are some, you know, positive stories of community to sort of come through it all, there are, you know, some challenges that we're all facing. But I suppose the positive is that we're all going through it. And so, you know, through that, I think there'll be a togetherness to try and get some resolve on the outside. And you're right, it's just a case of hanging on and remaining positive through it to, to you know, build on those gleams of, of light that are shining through this quite dark time, really. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's like that time in the mountains in Kyrgyzstan, you know, you're going to get to a deep low, but there'll always be a high come out of it. And you just got to roll through what is this dark time, show a bit of grit because there will be another side. And I'm only 20. Like, I'm going to have plenty of years of cycling the world to yeah, come. Only <laughs> 20. My God, you're so young, mate. Oh. <laughs> Actually, we didn't finish your route. So we'll just kind of quickly surmise. So you, so you did essentially... Uh, essentially part of Asia and then Europe going east to west you stayed with us at Christmas and there you went back to Asia so what was the route there to to your finish line so I then flew to New Delhi Mm. and crossed India Nepal back into India through Myanmar Thailand Laos Vietnam Cambodia all the way down Southeast Asia to Malaysia Indonesia And then I guess my final bit is I flew to Perth Mm. and crossed the final 3,000 kilometers back to Adelaide to finish a really big circle. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's probably uh, worth talking about. So you finished, um, well, you finished this this journey. Obviously, I know there's plenty more journeys. Um, I mean, can you put into words what that was like? Yeah. It was tough, yeah, Jordan. It was really tough. And it was probably one of the hardest moments of the 13 months, the couple months that followed. 
you know, I fell into a pretty dark place with the post-trip blues. Yeah, really. Because suddenly I'd lost my purpose. For 13 months, Mm. I woke up with this goal of cycling the world. And every night I'd go to bed and be able to say, hey, I cycled 100 mile today. I cycled over these passes. To then suddenly I wake up and I have no goal. I go to bed in the same bed. I've achieved nothing. And I was just lost. You know, I was in this time of, well, for 13 months, this was who I was. And now... I'm not doing that. And I didn't get to ride my bike every day. You know, for that 13 months, I was doing what I loved and I was in my happy place all day, every day to then have to come back to, I guess, society in the normal way, have to wear different shirts every day, having to shower and shave. And yeah, it was very overwhelming those few months, but you know, you roll through it and work out what is next and how to get past those tough times. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, how, how, how did you get through that time? Because, I mean, if you, for anybody that's struggling with a lack of purpose, I mean, obviously that's very real. Um, you know, how, how did you get through that? I meditated a lot. Yeah, cool. I found meditation became a very vital part of my day-to-day life because mm. I think being on a bike every day, you go into this meditative state. Absolutely. And... I suddenly lost that. I lost that time to be calm, to be still and almost in equanimity to now, yeah, lots of people talking at me, wanting to go left, right and center. So that I guess 20 minutes to an hour a day grounded me. It gave me a purpose. It gave me direction again. And it created a pad for me to leapfrog into, you know, developing a plan of now I want to race the indie pack. Okay. I want to go on this journey with my friend for a couple of weeks, start riding my bike around South Australia again. Now I've got some work lined up. And from that, I guess the ball started to roll and suddenly the world trip became less of who I was and more of, well, this is what I'd done. And now I'm growing from this mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, I'm certainly, you know, I feel, um, I feel inspired listening to you for this last hour, mate. You know, uh, I'm, of course, I understand how difficult that must have been, you know, coming to the finish line and um, starting to adapt to another routine. But I certainly, you know, if your purpose has been just to kind of inspire others to think bigger, then that's a, a remarkable purpose. And so I'm, you know, very grateful to kind of have, you know, my life kind of uh, interact with yours for however brief few moments and then, you know, moving forward. Um, but you're a, you're, a, you're a good man, Jimmy. You know, you're a 20, 20 years old. You've got a heck of a lot of life experience. And I know you've got a lot more to give. And I'm certainly excited about what the next few years look like for you and what, what we can expect to, uh, what gems we can expect to receive on the, other, <laughs> on the other end of it. Yeah, and you know, like Jordan, I'm so grateful for you. Grateful for, you know, the chance to meet more people like yourself and, the day I get back to England and we get to share another pride, London pride yeah, will be mate. a good day. <laughs> Sold. Count me in. All right, mate. We'll, look, we'll, um, we'll leave it there. But um, Jimmy, I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, as, it's a shame we can't do this face to face, but you know, during this lockdown, we'll do it. And I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, to you coming over here again. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks, Jimmy. Speak soon, mate.